I'm going on a bicycle trip this summer, and uh, it's shorter than previous years, uh, just 1,200 miles, and uh, we'll be going over into Idaho and north and over to touch Montana and then south, and it's going to be a, a nice trip. And do these trips have been doing, I think, of eight or nine years, and my most enjoyable part about it, there's usually a group that goes, my brother and, and sister-in-law and others, but the, the part that I probably enjoy more than anything is planning it. Leaving on uh, June 20th and first camp, next camp, how many miles we're going. And they make apps for bicycle planning now, so they tell you the best route and how many feet you're going to climb and go down, and, and uh, you can look at the size of the shoulder and the road and how much traffic there is and all this cool stuff. And plan and strategize the whole trip. Next year, I'm going to go from coast to coast, 4,000 miles, and uh, I'm already planning it, and I've bought maps and software and all kinds of things that tell all the campgrounds and the best roads and the whole nine yards. So the planning, I love the planning. It's such a fun, fun thing to do. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to plan the fishing trip. I like the planning almost as much as catching the fish uh, as planning the trip. So. If you were to take a class on calculus or trig trigonometry or uh, some really difficult chemistry class and you sat in on the first day and they started in on lecturing you about the class, you might think, this is way over my head. I, I don't have a clue about any of this. So when you start talking about theology, the Bible, God, there's some things that are just way over our head. One of them is when we uh, say the fact that God is infinite, uh, eternal. And so if you go back and back and back in time, you will come to a point where nothing exists, not an atom, not an angel, not a piece of dust, nothing, but only God because he is without beginning, always existed. So when you think about that, without beginning, always existed, that almost gives you a headache trying to understand it. Uh, but he is eternal. And at some point when nothing else existed but just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the term in the Bible is used before the foundation of the world or before anything else existed, there was a plan. God in his wisdom made a plan and uh, creation began and all billions and millions of stars and galaxies and all the laws of gravity and all that goes with that and angels and at the center of the plan at the very core the very target was us let us create man in our image and in our likeness that was the target the purpose of everything everything revolves around that so God wanted beings to spend eternity with him and the plan began so here's some truths that sometimes we forget one of them is is obviously anything created is going to be less than God uh, Ask the question, can God recreate himself? Can God create a being that is in every way equal with him? He can't. Even God can't do that because the very act of 
The fact that something is created makes that being less than God by the fact that it had a beginning. So, um, here's a second question. Can God create character? Uh, when we talk about the character that a person has of, of uh, diligence and honesty and humility and gentleness, those various character aspects of who we are as a person as we relate to other people, uh, can God just create that character in us? And so probably if you think about it for a little bit, you'll come to the conclusion to realize that no, character uh, is not something that can be created. So when you think about Adam created as an adult, not as a baby, there's Adam as a full-blown physical being in the sense of muscles and eyes and ears and ability to walk and to move and to work and to be. How much character did Adam have? Uh, and as a created in a moment of time physical specimen, character is not created, character is developed. God creates us with the capacity to grow in character, but he doesn't create character. So he created a world and everything in the world is perfectly designed and planned by God to be a greenhouse, as it were, for maximum growth of character in the beings that he created in his image and in his likeness. So his goal is to create us and then to develop our character. Did you know three times in the scripture it says that Jesus' character grew in him as a man? Even Jesus, as a man himself, was born without character and God developed, the Father developed character in his son Jesus by the life that he lived and the trials that he went through. And so God develops character in us and he developed a world that was perfectly designed to develop character in us if we cooperate to the max. We will experience the maximum amount of character growth. The term for that, uh, the plan, the strategy, the greenhouse effect on us is cosmology. That basically says cosmos, logic, what's the purpose of life, what's the purpose of everything that we go through, and the purpose is to make us like Jesus in character. That's what life is about. Everything revolves around that purpose, to make us like him. So in the very beginning, when the plan is formulated, and we're going to create uh, me, D. Duke, in the image of God, capable of growing in character, what would be necessary for me to grow? What is it going to take for me to become like him in character? Well, one of the things it's going to take is uh, choice. I need to be able to choose if relationship between us and God is going to be real relationship. And so one of the things that God knew at the very beginning when the plan was formulated, the long-term goal of making beings like him in character that would live with him and enjoy him and he would enjoy them forever and ever and ever. Choosing had to be part of the formula, but what's going to happen when we get the freedom to choose? We're going to sin. So in the very beginning, God had to f establish a strategy, a plan for how are we going to deal with this sin? And so you see in the Bible the 
phrase that Jesus was crucified or the plan for him to be crucified was before the foundation of the world. In the very beginning, as God was planning and thinking about all the years and everything that would happen, one of the facts is, okay, free will will be part of the deal, and as a result, sin will happen. So here's how we're going to deal with the sin so that people can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. So what's the first barrier in our walk and relationship with God being in his family? It's sin. Jesus took care of the problem. He paid the price of our sin. We experience forgiveness, redemption from our sin when we acknowledge our sin. We confess, I am indeed a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't get there on my own. And we accept what he did for us, a free gift of salvation. We believe and trust in the gospel, and we are forgiven, adopted into the family of God. And now I'm in his family. What's the goal is that I would grow in character and the keep part of that is my conquering my sin, uh, pursuing righteousness, and the journey of becoming stronger, more holy, more righteous, conquering sin grows my character. In the process, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fall, I'm going to sin. So God, again, provided uh, the solution for that. If we confess our sins, he forgives. So there's another aspect of this whole scene our sin keeping us out of the family we're in, our sin keeping us from growing, we conquer it, God forgives, he forgives everything along the way is dependent on his forgiveness that was come through Jesus Christ. And so an added sidebar is your sin against me. What's God going to do with that? He forgives me for the sin I commit against him. So what's he do with the sin that you com commit against me and the sin I commit against you? So as we look at the strategy from point A to point Z all the way through and we look at the things that create complications and why people don't grow, don't conquer sin, don't become like Jesus, sin is always, always the problem in every area and every realm. It's our sin, but a key part uh, that creates so many barriers in the average Christian's life is not the sin I commit against God or I confess to him my sin. It's the sin I commit against you and you commit against me. And how does that get taken care of? And so a major part of living the Christian life is my choosing to forgive you of anything of anything that you do, no matter how often you do it, no matter how bad it is. Not because you deserved it or earned it, but simply because that's what allows me to grow and you to grow is the forgiveness that we do between each other. And it's a really big deal to God. And the consequences that we experience in this life when we fail to do that are very significant. In fact, as a pastor of 45 years, I would say that is the biggest issue with most Christians. That is the barrier that most face more than any other barrier in their growth and uh, their uh, conquering sin in their life is the inability or the unwillingness to forgive other people for the things that they've done in their life. So if you have your notes, 
And with that long introduction, number one, God has forgiven each of us our sins because of our faith in Christ, not for anything good we have done or will do. So we are in a world that's full of sin. We sin regularly, often. We did sin, and that's been taken care of because of Jesus' death on the cross. God planned it all. God himself, as flesh, lived a perfect life. All our sins were placed on him. He was punished for those sins. Colossians 2.13, And when you were dead in your transgressions, that means you were headed for hell, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, God, made you alive spiritually, that is, you're going to heaven, together with him, we'll be together with him for eternity, having forgiven us of all our transgressions. So that's the point, that's everything. Our sins are forgiven, therefore we get to live with him for eternity. Number two, God expects that because he has forgiven us that we also will forgive others. That is a basic fundamental expectation when we talk about what's Christianity about anyway what is it that we're supposed to do as followers of God anyway foundational beginning point is forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us Christianity does not work if we're not forgiven Christianity does not work if we don't forgive others it's at the core of everything. Ephesians 4, 31, let all bitterness, all bitterness, bitterness is simply unforgiven sins that are in us towards others. People sin against us, we fail to forgive, and as a result, there's bitterness in us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you just as God in Christ has forgiven you Colossians 3:12 and so as those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion put on a heart of compassion that is choose kindness humility gentleness and patience bearing with one another forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you so also should you so again, that is the essence of Christianity. In the same way I have been forgiven, I forgive you. Number three, the failure to forgive others for their offenses against us is probably the most consequential sin that most Christians commit. In other words, the price we pay for failing to follow the principles of living the Christian life vary depending on those, but the failure to forgive everybody and anybody of anything and everything probably brings the most consequences into the average believer's life. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Short of the grace of God. That's the power, the strength of God as a believer. That no root of bitterness, that means even just a little bit, just a tiny bit of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by it many to be defiled. So when I have bitterness, it not only messes my life up, it messes your life up. Bitterness spreads like a disease worse than COVID. The consequences are significantly worse. Uh, number four, we tend to think that if we forgive someone quickly that we are saying that what they did to us wasn't serious. So I hear this pretty often regularly as I talk to people about their bitterness towards an ex-spouse or a dad or a mom or a previous boss or a neighbor 
uh, or somebody they bought something from that cheated them, uh, if I forgive them, then they will think it didn't matter. Or others will think that it wasn't that big a deal. We tend to think that by forgiving somebody of what they've done, we're saying that, ah, no big deal. That we're just simply uh, winking at it, saying, uh, forgive and forget. Uh, That we're just simply setting it aside. See, forgiveness is not saying something is unimportant. It's simply saying, I choose not to think about it, to remember it, uh, to be bitter towards you because of what you've done. It has nothing to do with whether it's bad or small, big or little. I told you this story, I think, a number of months ago, but I'll tell it to you again because it illustrates this point quite well. I was in England speaking. I was in 10 churches uh, each night, different church. They were getting ready to have an evangelistic crusade, and one of the pastors asked me to come to preach on prayer and preparation for the crusade. And it was in North England, and so part of that I went into Scotland, uh, and I preached in a church, and I was doing the series on the dirty dozen, 12 reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers, and therefore 12 reasons why we choose not to pray because we know that God doesn't answer if we do those inside, and so we're not motivated to pray if any of those are existent in our life. And so one of the dirty dozen is bitterness or failure to forgive other people. If I don't forgive you of anything and everything, then my prayers are powerless. They're not only powerless, God doesn't listen to them. And in fact, the Bible says that God considers my prayer to him if I have bitterness in my heart an abomination. And so I'm preaching this in this church in Scotland. It's a big church. It's all rock. It's beautiful. It's ornate. I can't understand anybody when they come up and talk to me. And I'm preaching. And this girl, about halfway back, she comes out. She's a young girl. And she comes up the aisle. And she gets this, I mean, that close to my nose, nose to nose. And she proceeds to yell at me. Uh, And she's in the yelling telling me about her past where her father had used her as part of a satanic ritual abuse ceremony for years Uh, using her as a sex object for the demonic worship service. She became pregnant through that process, and they offered her baby up as a sacrifice in one of these demonic services, and the baby was killed, slaughtered as a sacrifice. uh, He, the dad, and others were in prison at that point in her life. But she says, so you expect me to forgive him for that? I remember thinking, uh, wow. And I said, you know, if it were me making the rules, I would cut him into a hundred pieces and beat him with a stick. But I'm not making the rules. And I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So don't yell at me. <laughs> Wasn't my idea. But I said this. I said, you know, you think that you're punishing your father by choosing not to forgive him, but he's not paying any price. You're paying it all. And it's a huge price. And I got word back uh, sometime after I got home from the pastor that she was in counseling and uh, was getting uh, a victory over this in her life, which was good news to hear. It was a long time after I got back, actually, before I actually heard word from him. Uh, about the the girl, but she was actually doing well. Number five, a simple prayer of Lord Jesus. I choose to forgive Judas. I just threw that name in there. 
uh, whoever you put in there because you have forgiven me of everything. So forgiving someone is not saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't say that it isn't that big a deal. It's simply saying I choose to forgive because you have forgiven me. I choose to forgive because you have forgiven me. In the morning, uh, and we've, you've heard me say this a bazillion times, but every morning I have a prayer of commitment. Today, Lord, I declare you master of my life. Lord, Master King, I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. Today, I'll read your word. Today, I'll be devoted to prayer. Today, I'll love my wife the way Christ loves the church. I make those commitments. And one of those is, I will forgive anybody of anything, no matter how bad it is, no matter how many times they've done it, because you have forgiven me. I make that commitment every single morning without fail. And I will love any person you sovereignly bring into my life. When I finish with the commitments, I say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength, would you please grant me the strength to keep this commitment to forgive anybody of anything because you've forgiven me. Number six, if the offense pops into your mind again, pray the prayer again. Keep on praying it until the bitterness is gone. So you've probably said this. Maybe you've heard people say it. Well, I may be able to forgive them, but I can't forget. Well, keep forgiving until you do forget at least in the sense of just popping into your head for no apparent reason. And so the bitterness that's in you is like an iceberg. It pops up into conscious thinking and you say, I choose to forgive the person for this and it chops it off and then it'll pop up again and it'll pop up again and you keep chopping it off and chopping it off. And it may be such a, a sin that it takes you a year but every time it pops into your memory, you think about it, you say, Lord, I choose to forgive because you have forgiven me. That simple little prayer. It's not hard to remember, but you pray it out loud. I choose to forgive because you have forgiven me of everything. And you keep at it and you keep at it and you keep at it. And there will come a day in which you no longer have any bitterness towards the individual for what they've done. It might take a while, but you keep working at it, and pretty soon it'll be gone. You'll be cleansed. You'll be free from that bitterness. It'll no longer control your thinking, your attitude towards that individual. And so I've had some people in my life that have said some things, done some things that have been major uh, attacks on me as a person, and it took a long time. It took a long time. Every time I saw them, I'd have to pray, Lord, I choose to forgive them. Over and over and over and over and over. And as I persisted, pretty soon it was all gone. So this is a key one, number seven. If you find yourself struggling to forgive, ask God for help. It's His will. It's His command. And so He will certainly give me the help to do what He's asked me to do. And so if there's a person that's done something and you struggle with forgiving, Lord, help me to forgive as you've forgiven me. You've commanded me to do that. I want to, and I choose to. Please help me. God loves to give strength to those who want to obey him and to follow his principles. Number eight, if we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. So this is the big deal 
Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. I'm in his family, but as I live life, I sin. 1 John 1, 9 said, If I confess my sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is a huge blessing in the Christian life uh, that I can be forgiven every day, every day, every day as I uh, sin confessing it to God. But we create a huge problem when we don't forgive others because if we don't, then we're not going to be forgiven by God. Matthew 6, 14, If you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And that is a serious consequence for failing to forgive other people. Matthew, uh, Mark eleven twenty five. 25, Whenever you stand praying, why? Then, why not say, whenever you get out of bed, whenever you sit down to eat, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So back to the question, why when I'm praying? Well, because if I don't, it's a total waste of time to pray. So I was puzzled for years why I would motivate and stir up and uh, nag and harass and preach on prayer, and I couldn't get people to pray. I was like, what? Is I told pastors, it's easier to get people to give large sums of money than it is to get them to pray. Why? What's so hard about praying? Well, because if you're talking on a cell phone and nobody's on the other end that got cut off pretty soon, you realize that you don't keep talking when you know nobody's listening. So we have in us this sense uh, of whether God is actually listening to my prayers, doing anything, and if we have a sense that he isn't, then we're not going to pray. And if you have bitterness in your life, you're not, you aren't forgiven for your sins, and you're, God doesn't listen to your prayers, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't answer your prayers. He doesn't even listen to them. He considers them an abomination. If God doesn't forgive us our sins, he won't answer our prayers. He won't answer our prayers. Psalm 66, 18, If I have wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Number 10, If God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will feel guilty. There was an individual uh, years ago that would come to church, come about six weeks, two months, faithful, and then wouldn't see him for three months. Then they would come, they'd come for a month to six weeks, and then wouldn't see him for three months. And I don't know, it was about a year after this, I suggested we go out for lunch. And I said, uh, I just noticed this. I look and you're good for six weeks, off for six weeks, good for... Why? Well, because I come as long as I can handle the guilt, but then I don't come anymore because I just can't... You just make me feel like dirt. And I said, did you ever think that maybe it wasn't me? I mean, the one that gets the credit because I'm the one preaching that tends to make you feel guilty. 
but maybe it's God. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit making you feel guilty. Why would he make you feel guilty? You're not a worse sinner than I am. So why do you feel all this guilt and I don't? He said, I've been asking that very question. I said, I know the answer. He said, you do? I said, yeah, because I'm forgiven and you're not. And that was perplexing. So why would you be forgiven and me not? I said, there's several reasons in the Bible, but one of them is, is that there's people in your life that you've not forgiven, and I know who one of them is. Uh, it's your ex-son-in-law. You hate his guts for what he did to your daughter. I know it, you know it, and you haven't forgiven him, and therefore you are not forgiven by God of any of the sins you commit, and you have this guilt in you. You just carry it wherever you go. Makes your life miserable. Psalms 51, 7, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my, all my iniquities. Psalms 38, 17, I am ready to fall. My sorrow is continually before me. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Number 11, if God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will feel depressed and sad. Unmotivated. Individuals that are in that state often become addicted to television, video games, alcohol, all kinds of things in some way to get over that uh, melancholy, despondent feeling. Psalms 38, for your arrows have sunk deep into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I'm bent over, greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. This is all David's expression before he confessed his sin. Number 12, if God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will have a major energy loss. Ask a doctor once and then afterwards, later, just in preparation for this, I googled it. Number one reason people visit doctors. And they go to visit doctors because I'm tired. I'm tired all the time. Uh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm tired all the time. There's lots of reasons for being tired. One of them is, is that uh, God's not forgiven you of your sins because you haven't forgiven others. Psalms 31.10, my life is spent with sorrow. My years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. My body has wasted away. Psalms 32.4, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with a fever heat of summer. My vitality, my energy, my strength was drained away. I get off the airplane in Sierra Leone when I go over there and it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity, I become an instant noodle. With little strength. And he said, my vitality is drained away. It's the fever heat of summer. 13, if God doesn't forgive us our sin, we will be totally unmotivated.
Motivation is great. You feel like getting out of bed, you're excited about doing something, you write goals, you make to-do lists, and you can't wait to get to the next thing, but when you're unmotivated, it's like, it's the major bummer. And when you have bitterness in your life, you're going to be unmotivated. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. 14, if we don't forgive others, God will turn us over to demons to make our life miserable. Now, this is a significant consequence. So if God says to this group of demons, go after D, make his life miserable, you have my permission. You ever read the book of Job? What Satan was able to do when God gave permission? You know this parable, but it'll make it the, the point. Matthew 18, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one owed him 10,000 talents. That's like the national debt right now. Our debt, the U.S. national. Like, you can't imagine it. That's that big. And so Jesus is sort of obviously hyperbolizing to make a point. Here's this dude that owes 10,000 talents. A talent was at day, a year's wages. 10,000 years worth of money was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had in it and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him and said, have, have patience with me, I will repay you everything. Now that was a ridiculous statement. That's sort of like me saying, Lord Jesus, I'll earn my way to heaven. I'll be good enough to make it on my own. The Lord of, the, of that slave felt compassion, released him, forgave him the debt, that huge debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's like a dollar bill, price of a cup of coffee. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? And in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. What is their job? To torture. To inflict pain as much as possible. Handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. Do the same to you, to me, if... Each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, when I became a Christian, God built a fence around me. And the purpose was to keep demons out of my life. That was a major significant gift when I became a believer in Jesus. That God became my protector from the kingdom of darkness so they couldn't... Uh, control my life but in that gate that's around me keeping them out there's four doors and I'm the only one who can open them and when I do those demons that have been kept out then have access to my life one of those doors is the failure to forgive other individuals I thought I'd show you this little video I went to Hawaii to see my kids 
Patty and I did, and they said, why don't you go out and do this shark thing? You get to get in this cage, and all these sharks swim around you. And, and my son-in-law gave me a GoPro, and I did it. And I think I have this video now. We'll see. Notice my foot? I had it sticking out there quite a ways, and I looked down and saw it sticking out, and I slid it off to the side, so got my toe inside. So if there was a door in that cage and I opened it up, what would you think of my intelligence? Uh, not too smart. So we get turned over to the torturers, demons that have access to our life. Their goal is to make us miserable. Fifteen, the time to forgive is immediately, but at least before the sun goes down. So, I'm going to change. Every day, every day, every day. How? How do you change? It says, put on a heart of compassion. Choose to forgive. It runs contrary to who we are, our sin nature. It all pulls against us. So the average individual, when they say, okay, I'm going to forgive, what they do is they have this attitude of, I'm going to try harder. You don't change by trying harder. You will never change by trying harder. What we do in order to change is to train is to train, train ourselves systematically. So training implies something. It implies a little step, a little step, a little step. If you say, I'm gonna, I have a goal to learn to play the piano, you automatically will understand that that's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of practice and practice and training, and before you become a decent at piano, it might take years. If you want to learn to play tennis, if you want to learn to type, if you want to learn to weld, whatever you do, you practice and you train, and you acquire a skill a little bit at a time. So I want to become a person who forgives anybody of anything immediately. How long is that going to take? It's going to take probably as long as it takes to learn to play the piano. Number 16, being quick to forgive is a habit that is learned by practice. It's not something that you are going to choose to become overnight because you hear a sermon on bitterness. It's a, it's a goal that you have 
to become a person who forgives anybody of anything quickly. To forgive anybody of anything quickly. It won't be true if you haven't been working on it tomorrow, but it can be as you work towards it, working and training yourself to become more and more and more a gracious, forgiving person. So one of the things that I did years ago when I recognized I had this huge bitterness problem in my life towards a person is I wrote out the consequences, 21 consequences for failing to forgive someone of their sin. I wrote them all out from the Bible. Major one is that Satan has access to my life. Another biggie was the consequence that would come into the life of my children if I had bitterness in my life. The consequence that would come into my marriage, the consequence that would come into my ministry and my church, consequence in my health, the consequence in my motivation. I wrote all those down. And so I would read those. And I would ask myself, do I want those in my life? And so I was motivated to change on the basis of the reward and the consequence. And then I would make the commitment, I will, I will forgive anybody of anything. And then I would say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength. Would you grant me the strength? Would you, would you give me the help to be able to do that? And I would work on that and work on that and work on that, understanding that every day was a step in the direction of becoming more the person I wanted to be. That is an individual that will forgive anybody of anything quickly. Now, when you get to the point where you actually have arrived, as it were, then you don't even feel the offense because you forgive so quickly, even as people say it and do it. You forgive because you've made that commitment, you've become that kind of person. And so once you get to that point, then there's this huge amount of freedom in you because you're not controlled by people's sin and offenses and violating your rights and abusing you as a person that just all goes away because uh, you're free of that. You become that kind of person. But it's a journey that you choose to take and you work on it. You train yourself repeatedly until you know that you're there. And then the, the, the blessings of being a person who forgives anybody of anything comes into our life from God. He blesses us tremendously. The consequences are not part of our life. And many of the people that were around then experienced blessing from us as a result. So it's worth working on. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us of anything and everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this world, emptying yourself of all that you were as God, becoming flesh, and then being nailed to a cross, taking my sins, all of them, upon yourself, becoming my sin, and experiencing the full wrath of the Father against yourself on my behalf so that I can be forgiven of every sin I've ever committed or will commit and live with you as your brother, Lord Jesus, as your son, Father, forever and ever and ever with the glorified body. And I need to forgive anybody and everybody of everything that they would do because you've forgiven me. I pray that you would make us that kind of church. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.